In part two of our story on Haddon Clark, we'll discuss the details of Haddon's second confirmed murder and the odd behaviors that led to his arrest. We'll also meet his alter ego, the Rockville Rocket, and carry on with Kristen Bluefin. We'll take a look at the alleged murders Haddon claims to have committed and discuss what led to him ultimately landing in prison. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If we reeled you in with the story of Kristen Bluefin in part one, tuna in tonight as we school you on the conclusion of this fishy tale. This is Necronomapod. The Lady of the Dunes case dates back to July 1974. A girl was walking her dog on a Provincetown beach when she stumbled upon the body of a naked woman, likely killed days or weeks before. The woman's hands were missing, her head nearly severed, the left side of her skull crushed. No weapons were found at the scene, just the woman's body on a beach towel, her head resting on folded jeans and a bandana. No one has ever come forward to claim. No one has ever said, she was my daughter, uh, she was my ex-wife. Investigators have reportedly tried different ways over the years to identify the Lady of the Dunes, coming out with a new composite in 2010. So, uh, how about that Casey Anthony series we did? Pretty, pretty, pretty good on the downloads. It's doing great. People are uh, interested. Lots of strong thoughts on Ms. Anthony. Is part one our fastest download to like the, what is it at, almost 20,000? Is it the fastest? Oh, without a doubt, right? Yeah. Skyrocket into our, is it in our top five now already? Or top ten? Uh, you know what, I don't know anymore, but I would think it'll probably beat out Missing 401 eventually. Take the number one spot. Look at that. She's our number one girl, after all. Well, that's true. <laughs> She's up there on the uh, Mount Rushmore, right? With uh, herself, Art Bell, Mr. Muggs, and, uh, I don't know, Stanton <laughs> Friedman. <laughs> Ian should have had Casey on his wall behind him when he did his video a couple weeks ago. He should have. Yeah. I'll keep Doja Cat up there. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Just take down Kanye. Put up Casey. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Are you going to make a move at Kanye now that he's getting divorced? <laughs> Is your time, time to swing in? Be the rebound guy. Yeah. Yeah. Get some of uh, Kim Kardashian seconds. <laughs> the rebound guy. <laughs> it's funny. He's going to have a broken heart. He's going to be lonely. Ian can swoop on in and be like, hey, I own all your shoes. I'll wear some ugly gray sweats with you that you sell for $5,000. Talk about all of your albums. I'll join your cult that it looked like you were starting there for a little while. And it could be a new show, Keeping Up With The West. So it'll be Ian and Kanye. <laughs> just like a buddy buddy show. Yeah, right. <laughs> like that. Uh, remember that Robin Big show on MTV? I was with Rob Durdick. And uh, he was. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. That that show was hilarious. And it, just, it could just be that them getting into uh, shenanigans <laughs> together. Just the daily life of me and Kanye. Yeah. What we're, yeah. What we're up to. Right. Yeah. He'll just talk about how awesome he is. And you just sit there and agree with him the whole time. And <laughs> riveting television. <laughs> and MT I can take him to Speedway and show him the raccoons. And <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, uh, boy. He'd, he'd probably love that life. But yeah, and then uh, we, we've had quite a few YouTube comments on our Casey Anthony series. Pretty sure we're getting trolled by Casey Anthony, no? It sure <laughs> sounds like it. It seems like uh, this person has a lot of inside information that they would like to give us. 
about how why she's not guilty. Absolutely not guilty. Uh, yeah, a lot of pro yeah. Casey the truth uh, information will come out. on there. That's right. I think we responded or we talked about it briefly on this show and we said something about how we should just get on there and respond. Nice try, Casey. And then what? About 10 of our listeners got on and responded. Yeah. Nice yeah. try. Nice Casey. try, Casey. <laughs> got her. You're not going to. The first us. one. The first one I thought was odd. You know, I'm like, well, this person, I don't know many people in the world that think she's innocent. But then I think it was the second or third comment that account put said something about her documentary coming out. And it was like almost pushing the documentary. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, this this could actually be Casey Anthony doing this right now. In the post, it says something like, and there's this new documentary that I'm that Casey's producing that's coming out soon. Yeah. And then I did a I did a reverse image search on the profile picture. And it's a stock picture. Like it seems like a burner account. So I'm like, yeah, huh? Maybe Casey really is uh, making some burner accounts to comment on stuff about herself. Oh, it's a hundred percent her. Sure, it is. I, I would. I mean, based off that episode, uh, the information in there, it seems like it's uh, something she would do. If she would have turned the episode off after the first five minutes, she would have thought we were her biggest fans and loved her. <laughs> That's right. But she had to keep listening. If she would have came in studio. It would be a, it would have been a completely different series of episodes. Yeah. And we probably would have had a lot of angry listeners. <laughs> probably so. We had a few people message us like, I was so nervous turning on this episode. One, because of the way you guys teased it. Two, because of the warning we put ahead of episode one. And they're like, and then you guys did an awesome job. See? How about that? See? We can be responsible sometimes. Sometimes. When Ian threatens us and he's like, <laughs> I'm never going to record with you guys again if you embarrass me on this series. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. I think it was part two. Dave, you railed on her pretty good at the end. I did. Yeah. Deservedly so. Not the way he was hoping to rail on her, but still. (laughs) Also true. Railing nonetheless. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I wonder if Casey is still going to listen. You think she's going to be a subscriber now after this? Maybe, maybe she'll sign up for Patreon. <laughs> if what's the what's the screen? What's the username? Autumn something? Autumn Fragrance. Yeah. Oh, I'd be so. If great. we see Autumn Fragrance pop up, for, oh, that would be amazing for Patreon. I'll spend a half hour just giving her her own Patreon shout out. <laughs> Let me list the ways I love you, Autumn Fragrance. <laughs> That's got to be an actual perfume, right? Autumn fragrance. Oh, I'm somewhere. sure. Yeah. I'm certain of it. You get it like behind the counter at CVS, like twenty nine ninety nine. <laughs> you get it for like your mom, like on Mother's Day when you forget to get something. <laughs> Isn't that like uh, in the office when they get Michael Scott the um, the cologne from like the Rite Aid? Remember when it's she like a fucking brute set? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like something. I, I can't remember the name of the cologne, but it's so cheesy. Remember that's when they're I at the ice, the ice rink, and it's the episode where Kevin might have skin cancer. And Michael thinks he's taking the spotlight away from him. Not ringing about. I don't remember. Dwight gets Michael this sweet hockey jersey from the Wilkes-Barre Penguins. And on the back, it's just the name is from Dwight. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good episode. I think it's like season two. Anyways. All right, Ian, we're wrapping up Haddon Clark tonight. What do we got? In September of 1988, Haddon visited his mother, who is now living in Rhode Island. During his stay, he began stealing items from her house again. Just remember part one. That's when he hit her the first time when he attacked her. Right. She caught him stealing stuff. So Fliver caught him again and hadn't knocked Fliver down and began kicking her. Then he jumped into his truck and tried to run her over. 
The next day, she charged her son with assault and battery, but hadn't only got a year's probation and required psychiatric treatment, which he didn't do. And law enforcement never followed up on that psychiatric treatment. Yeah, it's not important. No big deal. Nah, turned out fine. So, Mike, Rhode Island, smallest state in the union. Have any presidents ever come from Rhode Island? I thought as the resident presidential historian, something you might be uh, familiar with. If not, I think. Are you? Do you know the answer? Uh, no, I don't. Oh, I thought you were giving me like a. <laughs> I was like, oh, if he's asking me, then maybe there is one. I don't believe so. I just saw a small state, Rhode Island, and for whatever reason, I thought, hmm, I, will, I wonder if any presidents have ever come up. from Rhode no, Island. You threw me off because I was like, well, if he's asking me, then there must be someone. I am not familiar. I don't think there are ever there is, have I been. don't believe there is, no. So between Bradfield's murder conviction and Haddon's assault, Fliver wanted nothing to do with her kids anymore. And she wrote a letter to Haddon saying that she was going to pretend that he was dead until he got some help from the veterans hospital. Meanwhile, the daughter's like, what did I do? Because he was a good kid, right? Yeah, she was the only kid out of the group that was normal. Yeah. Going back to part one, Fliver was no... Uh, angel herself you know with both of the parents were fucked up yeah i mean forcing Haddon to wear women's clothing and stuff and all that shit so you know i mean i get it hadn't tried to kill her he tried to run her over with a truck (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) probably just a toxic relationship all around probably best to go separate ways shortly after hadn't got the year of probation he got kicked out of the apartment he was renting as revenge before leaving, Haddon broke into the landlord's house, sprayed black dye on the living room carpet, hid rotting fish heads inside the piano, chimney, and stove, killed both of the guy's cats, hung one from the front door, and the other he put inside the refrigerator. And then to finish this all off, he balanced a 10-gallon bucket of vegetable oil at the top of the door so when the landlord came home, it would spill. That's mean. This guy doesn't fuck around, huh? That's <laughs> why like I said on part one, he's like the master of revenge. Yeah. <laughs> you imagine you walk in the door and 10 gallons of vegetable oil fall on your head. <laughs> and your cat's hanging there, like right in your face. Holy shit. You know, that's not funny. But... <laughs> well, for this, he was charged with destruction of property, but got a suspended sentence and was let go. Of course. So. What was the other story? I know I've asked this multiple times. Where well, then you should remember the answer, no? <sighs> Maybe. Um, <laughs> Richard Chase, right? Where he killed the the animals like in front of his mom. Yeah, yeah. Just like so many different things added up. Where if like mm. somebody would have just done something at one point, maybe could have saved some lives. Maybe. Well, they're too busy using resources to lock people with weed up in jail for twenty years. So you know. Or even, but I mean, even this guy, you know. He was on probation. The probation officer couldn't just make sure he was following up with the psych treatment. Come on. He could have done better. At this point, Haddon didn't have anyone in his family to live with. Fliver was done with him. He decided to masturbate in front of his brother Jeff's kids. <laughs> and then... And then that. that is not funny. That is No, but... <laughs> well, remember, we figured out that it was actually he was having a stroke. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's true. We did solve that riddle. <laughs> Yeah, and then Bradfield obviously is in prison for for killing someone. And then Allison just checked the fuck out and doesn't want anything to do with any of them. What's his brother Jeff up to? Uh, Jeff was just hanging out, you know, being a suspected pedophile and an extremely abusive guy. So after the, but, the, the kid thing, he probably had nothing else to do with him after he booted him? Yeah, no, that was it for him and, him and Haddon. 
and now he just did this thing to his landlord. So he had nowhere else to go. And in his mind, he had nowhere else to go. So he decided to become homeless and set up a tent out in the woods, even though he had $40,000 in the bank. Because that ice sculpture money, he it really set him up. Wow. Well, he's but obviously he, out an outdoorsman like you two guys. So he just right. would rather, you know, live off the live off the earth out in the wild. Just easier life that way. Sure. There were times that Haddon attempted to get help because he knew that something was wrong. He would often show up at local veterans hospitals. But after just staying a few days and getting briefly treated with antipsychotic medication, he would leave and go back to his tent in the woods. I think if I'm correct, this is past when mental, like insane asylums were done away with. Like the laws were changed at this point. Mid to make it harder to lock right? people up and throw them away, throw away the key. Yeah. yeah. That sounds right. Tent in the woods. It's not going to hurt anybody out there. <laughs> From the doctor's file said, quote, his mental state is psychosis with questionable etiology. He states that birds and squirrels talk to him and keep him company. He is tearful at times with intermittent outbursts of anger and agitation. He is a potential danger to himself through poor judgment and self-defeating behavior. Also in those notes was a quote from Haddon, quote, I think I have a split personality. I don't like to hurt people, but I do things I'm not aware of. Well, it's not him. It's Kristen Bluefin. So he's not responsible. When you have split personality disorder like that, can one personality truly block out the actions to the other? I'm curious. I was reading about that. And the clip I used for part one was a clip of a, a doctor talking about split personality disorder. Because there's not a lot out there about Haddon, like any interviews really or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But um, I guess doctors debate on whether it's a real disorder or not. Interesting. Like, if, fair, it, like yeah. if it like if it's a true split personality or if it's some other kind of underlying mm. okay. uh, dissociative disorder. Remember that movie Split? Yeah. It was real good. I liked it. Did you? I didn't like it. Yeah. It was a whole series of movies, right? It was Yeah, your buddy was in the other two. Yeah, cuz at the cuz I didn't <laughs> all I saw was Split and at the very end Fuckface shows up and I'm like, "Wait, what does he have to do with any of this?" And then I was like, "Well, I refuse to watch those other ones." <laughs> well, it was supposed to be part 2 of Unbreakable, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Unbreakable was awesome. It, was it a legit part 2 though or just kind of like a in the same world, yeah. right? Cuz I didn't like I don't even remember when I watched it, but I was like, "Oh, I didn't even know I may have should have watched something else before this." Glad I didn't, but I like it all ties together in the third one. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. I never watched the third one. Uh, P.S. We're talking about Bruce Willis. <laughs> I'll give him credit. I enjoyed Split. So if that's a Bruce Willis wow, movie, you then, go. you know, give him props for the four seconds he was on screen. <laughs> in February of 1989, police again arrested Haddon. This time there was a 17 count criminal indictment and 15 counts of that was for theft. Haddon had dressed in women's clothing as Kristen Bluefin, and visited a number of area churches. While women inside the churches attended choir practice, he just went through and stole a bunch of their purses and coats. <laughs> Bold plan, Haddon. Bold plan. <laughs> Kristen. Oh, Kristen, sorry. You know, the thing about him wearing the women's clothing and, and doing, and, you know, and turning into Kristen Bluefin is he, it, he really didn't try very hard at presenting himself as a woman 
Right. You, you can, can find photos photo of him. Still had and, yeah, you can <laughs> find photos of him online. And it just looks like he's wearing a wig that was like, I don't know, looks like they belonged on like the Brady Bunch or something. And that's it. Mm. Like, just puts this wig on. He's still got like a scruffy face. Mm. Yeah, he doesn't put much effort into becoming Kristen. Just throws on a wig and off we go. Let's go rob the church, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> on the day he was arrested, he pulled over to the shoulder of a park road and just sat in his truck. When police offered assistance, Haddon panicked and began fumbling around in the front seat, attempting to hide some of the, the women's coats and purses. So the police found the women's purses and coats, along with women's wigs, a hypodermic syringe, women's dresses, and a roll of cash. Like a pretty <laughs> hefty amount of cash. I guess he didn't have time to get to the fence yet to get, get rid of all this stuff he stole at the church. <laughs> he finally served some jail time for this, and he got 45 days in jail. He later said that he was fine with it because he was more comfortable in jail than being outside in the freezing February weather. Yeah, I think that would be true. Yeah, me too, please. Get a fucking apartment, Pally. Yeah, he had, it's not, and like I said, it's not like he didn't have money. $40,000. Yeah. At all, at all times, he had a minimum of $40,000 in his bank account. I think there's just a lot of mental illness here and stuff that he just. A lot think that can be attributed yeah, to anybody just, who likes the outdoors but that's just me <laughs> <laughs> after Haddon got out of jail he went back to the woods it, but now he kind of became like this local character and he named himself the rockville rocket yeah now we're talking <laughs> this is right up mike's alley now. this might be if it wasn't for the fact that he turns out to be a piece of shit Rockville Rocket would be on my Mount Rushmore. See, he perks up. He hears, he hears Rockville yeah. Rocket. Now he's all into the story. Half chubbed right now. Half chubbed. <laughs> May get full if this keeps going well. So as the Rockville Rocket, he would rollerblade all over town, delivering food for a company called What's a Bagel. He had a costume for being the Rockville Rocket, like these really short, almost booty shorts. <laughs> he, had a, he had his knee pads, uh, his helmet. Um, Why do we always talk then, about doofuses who wear booty shorts and knee pads on this damn show? We had fucking Nexium. Well, now we got this. What's the, what the hell is the, uh, what's that twat waffles name? Uh, Keith Ranieri. There. Him. Son of a bitch. Although and I will the, say the Rockville Rocket looked much cooler. <laughs> well, and then to top it all off, he had a Washington Capitals <laughs> hockey jersey. You, got, you have to, right? Rollerblading yeah. through the streets. The jersey's probably hanging lower than your actual booty shorts. Delivering what's a bag? And a helmet, too. Well, you're rollerblading, Dave. Gotta be safe. Safety first. Gotta be safe. I wonder if he had on like the little, uh, like the palm protectors. Remember those that you used to get with this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. I do have a photo of it we're gonna post. So let me get this right. I'm sitting at home. One oh my day. God, he did. Did he? <laughs> oh, yeah. Ian, I'll send it to you. He's got the fucking wrist guards on. <laughs> So I'm sitting at home. I go, eh, I like a, I like a everything bagel with some locks this morning. I call what a bagel. I knew you were going to say locks. And, and, and a guy that lives in the woods wearing booty <laughs> shorts, a hockey jersey, and a helmet is the one that brings my bagel to me. <laughs> with wrist guards on also. Yeah. Can you he imagine? He calls like, himself the, rock, the like, Rockville Rocket. You see him like skating up real fast and he's like, he turns and like breaks. He's like, here's your bagel. How do you not tip that guy like extra? Tip that guy like 200%. You have to. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because he lives in the woods. Well, you don't know that, though. Although, you probably do. It becomes probably a do. He said he's a local hero. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, like everybody knew him. Like after a while, that you know, people just seemed like, oh, that's the Rockville Rocket. <laughs> <laughs> just see him whizzing by with a bag like, of bagels going in and out of people on the sidewalk <laughs> with his little bag that he's taking to people oh, that's great but in the, like the scary thing is is like he's really silly looking and nobody knows behind that he's already kept like brutally killed a six-year-old girl right that's why i hesitate to put him on my mount rushmore <laughs> so he, he spent time at a local bar even though he didn't drink and he would go into this bar as the rockville rocket and hang out with people and from what i read i guess like a bunch of the local news anchors and stuff went to this bar because it was right by the news station so he would go in there as the rockville rocket just <laughs> like lo local hero just hanging out with yeah. everybody probably buying drinks with all that money he has not going right. towards housing or anything <laughs> he can buy everyone around you know twice over Somehow, as the Rockville Rocket, he was able to find a woman at this bar that was a bartender, and she would sometimes go back to his homeless tent in the woods and hook up with him. <laughs> I mean, Mike, you have a tremendous amount of game, but a guy really has to have a lot of game to be living in a tent in the woods and get girls to come back with him, right? That's impressive. Yeah. That's a whole nother level. That's not level. easy. Yeah. There's multiple tents being pitched probably over there. <laughs> Around this time, Haddon met a woman named Penny Hoddling, who lived in Bethesda, Maryland. Penny was a psychologist who liked to help the unfortunate, and she thought she was doing good when she hired Haddon Clark from a local church organization in early 1992. She needed a gardener and hired Haddon. The two of them got along really well, and so well that she began to give Haddon access to her house. He was allowed to make himself coffee and used the bathroom while he was working without asking. Nope, I do not recommend this course of action, no. This is mistake number yeah, one here. I'm going to thumbs down that decision. <clears throat> Haddon eventually started to view Penny as his mother and started gradually stealing her underwear, clothing, and jewelry. Because remember, last week he stole, we talked about he stole his mother flivers underwear and would wear them. Right. So now he's doing the same thing with Penny and he's viewing Penny as his mom. Penny did notice some of the gardening tools missing and confronted Haddon about it. And he yelled at her much like he did with Fliver, but it didn't get physical. So Penny kind of backed off and thought maybe she was being too hard on him. As the resident expert on being too hard, Mike, what say you about this situation? That's a different kind of hard, Dave. Oh, different kind of hard. Okay. How many things am I a resident expert on uh, in this episode? <laughs> just, I give credit where it's due, man. You know. <laughs> nail salons. Resident expert Mike. What do you got to say about uh, nail salons? Penny had a daughter named Laura that went to school at Harvard. And after graduation, she came home in the summer of 1992. To Haddon, this seemed like Penny now had another child. And she liked this child more than him. So Haddon started to figure out how to get revenge. In mid-October, Penny Hotling told Haddon she would be going away to a conference for a week from the 17th to the 25th. The next day, Haddon went to a local hardware store and bought two rolls of duct tape, rope, and some nylon cord. In the memo section of the check he used to buy this stuff, he wrote Laura. That's uh, it's bold, going with the accurate memo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like our pal Jerry Springer when he paid for the hooker with a check. Remember that guy? I know Jerry Springer. I didn't know he was doing that. When he was mayor of Cincinnati. I didn't know I didn't know that story. Yeah. 
don't don't pay for hookers with checks. Was that while he was mayor he did that? I think so. It's when he was in Cincinnati or was he council or he was mayor? I want to say it was when he was mayor though. <laughs> Damn, I had maybe never not. Heard that. I don't remember, but yeah. I don't advise it. On Saturday, October 17th, 1992, right before midnight, Haddon parked his truck on the street next to the Hotling house. He went into the shed and grabbed the spare house key and went inside the house. Haddon wasn't doing this as Haddon. He was Kristen Bluefin. He was wearing a woman's wig, Penny's underwear, carried a black purse, and wore a woman's blouse and slacks. He also wore a woman's trench coat, and underneath the trench coat, he had a 22 caliber rifle. He snuck into Laura's bedroom, and once inside, he used the gun to nudge her awake. That's terrifying to wake up to. Yikes. Yeah, and this is about to get way scarier in two seconds here, because he started to ask her questions like, why are you in my bed? Why are you wearing my clothes? And then he told her, he started saying, tell me I'm Laura. Like just over and over oh, again. Man. And she probably easily recognized him, right? Like she knew who it was. Maybe not at yeah, first when, fucking... you're, when you're woken up out of a deep sleep in a dark bedroom. But after a few minutes. After a few sure. minutes when your eyes adjust and you're like, that's fucking Haddon in a wig. Yeah. It's a Mark Gardner. Laura responded by saying, you're Laura. You know, please don't hurt me. Haddon asked Laura to swear on the Bible that he was Laura, which she did. Then holding the gun on her, Haddon forced Laura to get up undress and take a bath afterwards he led her back into the bedroom and made her lie down on her stomach his plan was to abduct her and take her to his campsite in the woods and quote introduce her to haddon he bound her wrist with duct tape then her ankles he turned her over and began covering her mouth with the tape but for whatever reason he just didn't stop and ended up wrapping her whole head and she suffocated from being wrapped in the duct tape. Haddon then began removing the duct tape from her face with a pair of scissors. His hand slipped and stabbed her neck, causing blood to shoot onto the sheets in the pillowcase. He decided he wanted her earrings that she was wearing. And when he had a hard time taking off the second one, he just cut off her ear with the scissors. God damn. Was he trying to cut the tape off to save her real quick or just? No, he was just cutting it off to remove it. So he didn't care that she had died, like even though it wasn't necessarily intentional at this point. Like he didn't give a fuck. No, I I think when he was, you know, because he's the one that said he was going to take her to the campsite to show to let her meet Haddon. Right. I think he probably was going to kill her there if he would have taken her out there. Probably. Well, he had to get his revenge. Right. Haddon sat by her bed and looked at her body for almost an hour. He stroked her breasts and made sure to specify that he did not rape or cannibalize Laura. At 3 a.m., he wrapped her body in a queen-size sheet and put her in the bed of his truck. He went back inside and grabbed the sheet, mattress pad, and pillowcase and carried them out along with some trophies. He had Laura's high school ring and a crystal unicorn. And then he went back inside and slept in her bed for a while. Haddon left the house around 8 a.m. He was wearing a woman's wig and carrying the purse. A housekeeper standing with a child waiting for a school bus would later tell the police she thought the person was Laura, headed out for her job. Haddon got into his truck and drove two blocks to the parking lot of a nearby church. He backed his truck into the corner of the lot and went back to sleep. So he doesn't seem too worried about getting caught. 
No, he's yeah. just trying to take a nap. Yeah. I think we established that when he wrote Laura on the check, paying for yeah, all the weapons. Good, he was good point. Use. Good point. While hadn't slept, Laura's employer began calling the house because it wasn't like her to miss work and give no explanation. So her manager sent someone out to the house to look around. The young woman got no answer when she rang the doorbell. So she called Laura's brother and began calling her friends. After searching the house, Laura's brother, Warren, decided to walk the route Lauren took to the bus stop that she often used to take to work. As he walked down the street, he saw Haddon driving towards him in his pickup truck. Warren tried to wave Haddon down to see if he knew anything about his sister's whereabouts. So Haddon pulled over, but when Warren walked towards the car, Haddon sped away. Warren thought the behavior was a bit weird, but he knew Haddon was a little weird and didn't think much about it. Late that night, he called the police and then called his mother, and the police told him not to worry that Laura would likely turn up soon. Is that the standard default response that police give when you try to tell them uh, submit a missing persons report? It oh, seems she's really fine. hit or miss. She'll turn up. Don't worry. That or, oh, it's it, it, we have to wait 24 or 48 hours and then file a report. Yeah. It seems like half the time you get that type of response and then the other half, they're all over it. Mm-hmm. I think it just depends on the police department you're dealing with. Yeah. How about being... Uh, this girl's mom, though, and like inviting this guy. Like, how do you live with that? Right. Inviting this psychopath and letting him into your house. Yeah. I don't know. That's going to be pretty rough. Yeah. Running into Warren scared Haddon. So he drove to a spot on I-270 across the highway from his campsite. He dug a shallow grave and rolled Laura into it and then covered her body with dirt and leaves. Since this was a really half-assed grave, animals quickly started to dig at the grave. And by spring, Laura's wrists came up from the ground and heavy rain pushed her body all the way out of the grave. After burying the body, Haddon went to a storage space he had been renting and dropped off all the items he stole from Penny's house, but he kept Laura's pillowcase on him. Warren told the police about the encounter he had with Haddon. And even though Haddon was weird, he still thought it was odd. One of the detectives remembered Haddon from the Michelle Dore case, and the focus of where Laura was went all on Haddon. Obviously, at this point. <laughs> well, remember they almost had they almost had him confessing when he was in the bathroom throwing up. And yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. They were close. That's right. If the dad would have been honest and said I hadn't seen her since noon, they probably would have pressed on with that. The timing didn't oh, yeah, add, for sure. add up yeah. for him. And also, this jackass has a storage space, too, and he's sleeping in the woods. That was going to be my next <laughs> sentence. It's February. You're freezing. Yeah. You have a storage space, dude. Just go sleep in that. <laughs> the fuck? Well, it's probably smelly from all the God knows what's in there. In there. Yeah. The love tent was just out in the woods. It's probably better for the ladies. It's true. Yeah. Could have been one of those really, like, narrow storage spaces, too, with all of the stuff in yeah, there. Yeah, Still, it's... February, it's fucking freezing. The hell out of there. Yeah, this isn't Florida. Police tracked down Haddon and said they wanted to talk to him. But before he went in, he threw the bloody pillowcase in the Methodist Church parking lot that he was sleeping in. For an alibi, Haddon told the police that he stayed the night in the church parking lot, so they found the pillowcase immediately, as well as a ton of clothing that belonged to Penny. Also in Laura's room, they found a hairbrush that had a hair that matched one of Haddon's wigs. So he's just trying to get caught, right? He's, like, I don't. I don't, just don't think he's thinking this through very well. Yeah. 
or is he having remorse for something that he feels his other personality might have done? Because it was, remember, it was Kristen. That Maybe he's really not aware of it. Maybe uh, he's freaking out because Kristen did something. and He really can't remember what he did. I don't know. Yeah, it's just weird then throwing the stuff in the area where yeah. you're going to tell police yeah. you're sleeping. It's not a great plan. The police didn't have anything to hold Haddon on just yet because this is all pretty circumstantial. I mean, the pillowcase is pretty damning, but nothing to hold him on yet. And while they were doing their investigation, Haddon went to Cape Cod on October 31st, 1992, and dug up his father's grave. According to Haddon, he had buried all the trophies he kept from victims in his father's grave, as well as one of his claimed victims that we're going to talk about later, Sarah Pryor. Then after this, he went to his grandparents' property in Cape Cod, buried the box of trophies and Sarah Pryor's skeleton in two separate spots. He buried this in his father's grave, like right when his father died, as he was being buried initially? Or did he dig it up late or as, thought it was a good hiding spot? Or maybe yeah, he never so his, his, his dad ended up committing suicide somewhere in between here. And at, at some point, hadn't buried... According, allegedly buried Sarah Pryor, like basically right above the grave, like, mm. you know, dug down far enough to where none of this would be noticed. But it was like right on top of where his dad was buried. Ugh, creepy as that. We, we talked about him being schizophrenic. You know, he's diagnosed as schizophrenic, but his schizophrenia doesn't come up in the story as much as it did with Richard Chase and Joseph Callinger. But there might have been some significance in his head to his dad's grave mm-hmm. with hiding that stuff there. Because, you know, schizophrenic people, a lot of times they see everything's assigned to them. Everything means something. Yeah. So there could have been something that he saw, some something that made him feel like this was the, this was what he was meant to do, was to bury that stuff there. Well, there's something to that, probably. On November 6th, 1992, a forensic lab sent their report to the police and they confirmed the pillowcase had Laura's blood on it, as well as Haddon's fingerprints. So on that day, Haddon was arrested for murder. During the interrogation, police first brought in Haddon's teddy bear. As in part one, we said that the teddy bear was one of the only things in his life that brought him happiness. And he slept with it every night up until his arrest. How old is his teddy bear at this point? Because it's from when he's a kid, right? <laughs> yeah. Probably a nasty, smelly little thing. Falling apart, arms are sewed back on. (laughs) Right. Police knew it meant a lot to him, so they thought maybe this would ease things over. And they tried treating Haddon like a child at first, but they weren't getting anywhere, so they left the room. While the police were watching the camera, Haddon turned to his teddy bear and said, quote, "Uh uh-oh, we're not getting out of this one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) You think it talks back to him? Is it like the movie Ted in there? They're having a conversation. Yeah, we don't know what's going on over there. <laughs> yeah, buddy boy. They're kind of fucked now. <laughs> Have we talked it might about very that? well. Yeah. Have we talked about that movie on this show? Ted? Yeah, that's yeah. so funny. It's so great. With schizophrenia, very, very vivid hallucinations, you know, where things seem 100% real. So who knows? This teddy bear might actually speak to him. He's probably giving him legal advice. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I'm here with my attorney, Mr. Right. Mr. Bear. <laughs> T-Bear Esquire. <laughs> then Haddon went on to sing his church songs at the top of his lungs in super high pitched, like we talked about last week. 
Yeah, and specifically, he was singing the song "Still Working on Me." He loves his music, or his which I, I, had to, I had to look that one up. I didn't. Uh, I wasn't familiar with. He's still working on me. As a did you sing that one growing up, Dave? Yeah. Uh, I don't recall that song. No, I looked it up. I've never heard that before. Mm. But I mean, Mike, everyone's a work in progress. God's working on all of us. So <laughs> it's a relevant song, no matter where or who you are. If I remember the lyrics correctly, it said that God built the moon, Mars, and the stars, maybe, in well, a Ian, week. Ian, incidentally, but he's still working on me. Yeah, I, pr- I printed out the <laughs> lyrics here for Mike. I thought maybe he wanted okay. to sing it, so it's it's right here in front of him. Well, I'm not, I'm he doesn't feel like singing those. I, I can do a, uh, a little bit of a reading for um, for just that line, at least. Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. <laughs> so, there you go. Clever rhyming. There's also um, like a hand thing to get, to go along with this song that kids in Sunday school do. Like a whole Oh, a I whole believe deal. that. I remember that stuff. <laughs> There's like you do like the sun coming up with your oh, hands okay. or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Haddon was also kidding. doing this in the cell by in the oh interrogation room by himself. He was doing the whole thing. <laughs> we used to have to do that too back in the day for a few songs at least. Didn't enjoy it. Just let me sing my Bible songs. That's all I wanted. That's all you wanted? That's all I wanted to do. You don't want to give the priest a tug job? Is that part of the hand motions that you're was, talking about? It was, you know, you don't actually do touch them, but yeah, they, oh. they you know, they know what it means. Okay. What you're hinting at. More to come on that on Bible Babble in March. Patreon.com slash Necronomapod. That's right. We cover it all on Bible Babble. <laughs> when the police came back in, they started the whole bad cop thing and started grilling Haddon on his past. Like if he was sexually abused, uh, what his sex life was like, if he was into dead bodies and then threatening him with what was going to happen when other prisoners found out that he wore women's clothes. And at one point, one of the police officers started beating up the teddy bear. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> but can you imagine that scene, how ridiculous that is? Yeah, is there video of this, please? Please tell me there's no, a video of this somewhere. Not public, at least. <laughs> and quite frankly, I'm surprised the Popos admitted that they did this. <laughs> Beat up the bear? Yes. <laughs> like I just picture him demanding it hadn't talk like they're like, you know, hadn't tell us what we're going to do. We're going to fuck up this bear. <laughs> <laughs> They're holding They're going to rip its head off. You better tell us. Yeah. Better fucking tell us. Twisting the arm more and more. <laughs> He's hurting. He's crying to hear him. Can't you hear him crying? He's in a lot of pain. Uh, but Didn't all work. Didn't work? No. Nope. Because all he would say was his lawyer's name, Donald Salzman. Just over and over again to everything they asked. So why don't budge sh- on it? Shout out to Haddon Clarker because that's exactly what you should say when the police are questioning you. Well, so. he should have. He's done doing better. one thing right he here. Should have done better and said Jose Baez, motherfuckers. <laughs> 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 then the police asked if they could talk to Kristen Bluefin, and that was Haddon's cue. It it was like almost like showtime for Haddon, and this is what leads people to believe that Kristen is more of a coping mechanism for him like coping with his childhood. Like there's obvious mental illness here too. Yeah. But that Kristen Bluefin is more of a, like, like I said, a coping mechanism to deal with things. And it just carried over into his adult life rather than step outside of himself. Yeah. Rather than something 
Yeah, rather than something he truly believes, because when they asked him about it, you know, that's not how that would work. You wouldn't just click into it Mm -hmm. like that. So he went on to tell police that Laura's body was buried in Warren Township, New Jersey, which wasn't accurate. He didn't admit to anything, just said that was where the body was, and then went to his cell and went to sleep. As the trial was coming up, the police still hadn't found Laura's body, and all they had was that fingerprint on the pillowcase. So the prosecutor offered Haddon second-degree murder, and he accepted, then was sentenced to 30 years in prison. After he was sentenced, after it was all done, he wrote out exactly what happened and led police to Laura's body. Okay, see you next week. (laughs) Haddon was sent to Eastern Correctional Institution, and all was quiet from Haddon until 1999. In 1999, he got a cellmate named John Truitt, who kind of looked like Jesus, like the stereotypical version of Jesus. Like a long-haired white man who somehow lived in Palestine 2,000 years ago? <laughs> yeah. Okay, yep. sure, sure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Hadn't perceived him as Jesus. Like, fully thought John Truett was Jesus and was basically like, I knew you would come for me. Like, I've been waiting for you. I knew you would come. <laughs> Ted, teddy Bear told me you'd be coming for me. Right. <laughs> Did he get to take Teddy Bear to prison? That's what everyone wants to know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. No, but he had, he had weekly visits, so they're sitting across the glass from each other. <laughs> right. They would have to like. I get along in here. They would have to tape the phone to Teddy's ears. So <laughs> hey, you really fucked up, huh, Haddon? <laughs> Teddy Bear smoking a cigar. I like he's, while he's visiting him in prison, he's smoking a cigar and like drinking a whiskey on the rocks, <laughs> like having this conversation with him. I'd love to have a talking bear. Not be oh sweet. God, yeah. <laughs> because Haddon thought that true it was Jesus, he started confessing other murders to him, including the Michelle Dore murder. He's probably like, hell yeah, I'm going to heaven now. Fucking Jesus, my cellmate. Jesus is my home. Saved bitches. <laughs> Jesus is my homeboy. Isn't That's that right. a t-shirt? Yeah, absolutely. I have three of them, Mike. Of course you do. Truett then went to the police with information about Michelle Dore in exchange for reduced sentence time. Haddon led police to Michelle's body later on in 1999, and he was found guilty of her murder and was sentenced to another 30 years. Was her father still alive at that point? So finally the suspicion was. was cleared off of him. That's a lot to take for all that time. Yeah, there was. Remember last week, I was when we were talking about him. I said that it just like completely ruined his life. He was mm-hmm. hospitalized and all that stuff. He did an interview on one of those true crime shows, like I don't know, Forensic Files or something like that. It's on YouTube. Um, but yeah, he just seems like a completely broken person. Yeah. Well, that's unimaginable. Yeah. As far as the other murders, had had confessed to John Truitt about, police wanted him to lead them to the bodies. And hadn't said he would, but he had some conditions. They had to buy him a full outfit, including a wig for Kristen, and Jesus had to come. <laughs> so John Truett had to come, too. He's probably like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> and Hadden's like, yes, I know. <laughs> I, I just picture this as, like, finally some peace and quiet. Like, yeah. Haddon is leaving for a while, and then Haddon's like, nope, you got to come with me. I, I need you to come. <laughs> Get dressed, Savior. We're going on a road trip. <laughs> Jesus, look, you just Judas my ass. I was looking forward to this quiet time. 
Did he get a reduced sentence? Is he still in prison? I don't know. Wonder. I think they went to go look at his cell three days later, and the cell was open. He was gone. <laughs> he was gone. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> That's what happens, right? It happens all the time. That's my understanding of the Bible. Just reading about like what Haddon was like to be a cellmate with, it, it sounded like absolute hell. Like that was punishment. That was a lot of punishment. Mm. You, you know, you, he was, you needed fucking uh, Ed Kemper there to train him not to sing and give him peanuts. <laughs> Like he did do that other dude. <laughs> he said that Haddon liked to play chess all the time. And like Haddon was really, really good at it and would like beat him every time. But then when he f- switched over to Kristen, he would purposely lose like to flirt with John Truett <laughs> and stuff. Like, <laughs> Oh, man. So Kristen was like into Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. On these trips, Haddon wasn't able to locate any of the bodies that he claimed he murdered because some of the areas had been built up into shopping plazas and the property at his grandparents in Cape Cod had changed a lot over the years because uh, most of it was beach area where he said that he buried these bodies and the landscape just changed and it made it you know impossible to find the spot again. The only thing they did find at his grandparents was that box of trophies that in that box had over 200 pieces of women's jewelry in it, including Laura's class ring. So who knows if this was just stuff that he stole over the years, you know, because we know he stole a bunch of penny hotling stuff. He stole those purses from the, the churches. So, yeah, you know, this could have been stuff he stole, but it also could have been, you know, really been trophies. Can you imagine being one of the like business owners in those shopping plazas where you see all these cops and prisoners yeah. looking around and then you're like, oh, what's going on? They're like, oh, there may or may not be a body over here. Right. You're like, oh, OK, great. Thanks. It's good for business. Yeah. Haddon Clark comes rolling up dressed like Kristen Bluefin and he's got right. Jesus next to him. <laughs> <laughs> the cops are like, look. Uh, Truett, he only agreed to do this if you actually wear like the Jesus garb. We're going to need you to put on this little uh, That's right. this little robe and walk around. <laughs> Truett's like, motherfucker. <laughs> Haddon had claimed that he started murdering back when he was 14. At 14 years old, he said that he murdered a boy out of revenge and his father helped him cover it up. He then went on to claim at least 12 other murders the two that got the most attention was the murder of Sarah Pryor and an unknown victim known as Lady of the Dunes. We'll be right back. The first one we're going to get into for Haddon's claimed murders is the Lady of the Dunes. On July 26, 1974, a nine-year-old girl walking her dog found the decomposing body of an unidentified woman in the Race Point Dunes area of Providence, Massachusetts. The remains were just yards away from the road and had a significant amount of insect activity, a lot of decay going on. There were two sets of footprints that led to the body, and tire tracks were found 50 yards from the scene. Due to decomposition, police thought the woman may have died two weeks before her body was found. The victim was face down on half of a beach blanket with a blue bandana and pair of Wrangler jeans under her head. She had long auburn or red hair pulled back into a ponytail with a gold hair tie and her toenails were painted pink. Police determined the woman was approximately 5 feet 6 inches tall, weighed 145 pounds, and had an athletic build. She also had dental work including crowns worth $5,000 to $10,000 
that Dennis referred to as the New York style of dental work, but several of her teeth had been removed. I'm not familiar with the New York uh, dental style. I mean, I've seen the West Virginia and Alabama dental work style. <laughs> I don't recommend that, but I'm not familiar with the New York one. That one's certainly not five to $10,000. <laughs> no, 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 no. New York. There's not five to 10,000 teeth in those states combined. (laughs) I think the dental work is something people are going to point to in a theory that, or, you know, in in a theory we're going to get into a bit in a bit about her as far as maybe some potential acting, both hands and one of her forearms were missing. And most sources say she was between 25 and 40 years old. However, she could have been as young as 20 or as old as 49. That's a big gap. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to identify someone. The woman was nearly decapitated. Police theorize it possibly could have been from the strangulation, like with with a rope really, really hard. One side of her head had been crushed with some type of a blunt object. And there were also signs of sexual assault with a wooden object, likely post-mortem. Some investigators feel that the missing teeth, hands, and forearm indicate the killer wanted to hide the victim's identity or their own. They thought maybe the forearm had a tattoo on it, possibly, like Mm. an identifying tattoo. Yeah. I think this next piece is pretty interesting. Yeah, this is where that teeth, people are going to point to with that expensive teeth work being done. In August of 2015, speculation started that the Lady of the Dunes may have been an extra in the 1975 film Jaws, which had been shot on Martha's Vineyard about 100 miles south of Provincetown between May and October 1974. Joe Hill, the son of Stephen King, brought this to police attention after watching the film's 4th of July beach scene. Hill spotted a woman in the crowd wearing a blue bandana and jeans similar to those found with the body and really looked like the police recreation of what the Lady of the Dunes might have looked like. Also interesting, Haddon Clark was close enough to that area at that time to have committed this murder. That's interesting. I never heard that story. Good looking out, Joe Hill. Yeah, he's doing a, a deep dive. Oh, yeah. How come you don't do that kind of deep dive research, Ian? <laughs> yeah. I'm slacking over here. Yeah, come on. How come you haven't identified any missing person's bodies? <laughs> Next time we do a serial killer, I want you to watch some random films and look for some potential <laughs> victims in there. Reporter Alex Wilkinson from The New Yorker got a lot of one-on-one time with Haddon Clark in 2000 after John Truitt, a.k.a. Jesus, convinced Haddon to talk to him. And Alex Wilkinson writes, it's a really big article, really long one. And he writes about how he had to talk to John Truett multiple times to, uh, to get permit, like get the okay to talk to Haddon. So Haddon, he he writes it as like, I had to talk to Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Truett's just like, dude, I don't give a fuck. Leave me alone. If it's okay with Jesus, it's okay with me. And Truett talks in the article, it adds, you know, he has some stuff from, from John Trude in there about, you know, when he switches to Kristen, it's like a whole different thing. And wow. the attitude changes everything and how you deal with them is completely different. He becomes little Miss Flirt when he's uh, Kristen Bluefin. Yeah. But about the Lady of the Dunes murders, Haddon said, quote, In 1974, I was vacationing on Cape Cod at my grandfather's. And I went into one of my episodes. I was in Provincetown and I came across a beautiful girl. 
I lured her into the dunes. I smacked her in the head with one of my surf casting poles. And after she was unconscious and I had her killed, I removed all of her clothes, folded them neatly and put them under her body. And I did some things with her body. I folded up her clothes really, real nicely. I went back to my truck for a saw and I cut off her hands and stuffed her arms into the sand like she was doing push-ups. Then I took her hands and put them in her purse like a beach bag. I cut off a couple of her fingers and used them for fishing bait. I buried her hands in a different place. I didn't bury her because I was making a statement. I don't know why I was doing it. Maybe if you were a trained psychologist, you could tell me. The well, things we're, that led- we're, we're pretty close to trained psychologists. What do we make of this? At this point. <laughs> we're self-taught. Um, I'm saving my analysis. I'll reserve my analysis for the end of the show, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> the things that led police to believe that there is a chance that Haddon could have been involved is that he knew the hands were cut off and how her body was positioned. At the time that he said this, they had been keeping those details pretty quiet. You know, th- those weren't something that was common knowledge. Also in 2004, Haddon sent a map to a pen pal he had in prison that detailed where the body was found. And it was very accurate, along with a drawing of her body that was also very accurate to how she was found, like in that push-up position. Mm. He drew the the way her body was found almost perfect. It's convincing. Yeah. Also, Haddon Clark has some really fucking creepy artwork out there. Oh, really? Boy. Yeah. I'm going to have to look this up while you're talking. So uh, there's just something about his drawing style that's really creepy. So the, the 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 Jaws lead never panned out. They weren't able to go back and locate information on the extras or anything like that. No, not that I know that's of. A shame. It just yeah, it just seemed like it was uh, just another theory. Mm. The next one is Sarah Pryor. She was nine years old in October of 1985. One afternoon, she told her father that she was going for a walk. She was five feet, two inches tall with blonde hair and hazel eyes. And she was last seen between 4 p.m. and 5 p.m. at an intersection a mile from her parents' house. And the case went completely cold. Then in late 1997, a piece of bone small enough to fit in the palm of your hand turned up in a field in the town of Wayland. And it turned out to be a piece of Sarah Pryor's skull. And no other remains have been found other than that. Wow. About this murder, Haddon said, quote, Okay, that was 85 in the fall, an Indian summer kind of day. I was on my way to the area from Maryland to see my father. He lived in Sudbury, the town next door. My father was seeing another woman then. I think my mom and dad were divorced at the time. I had just got out of the military. Things weren't going so good for me. I got to the house and he wasn't there. I had plans to help him move some things. I drove all the way to help him move stuff, and he didn't show up. It's canceled. Big deal. But it's very frustrating to drive all the way, and it's canceled. I was on my way home. I forgot what route I came through Wayland. I asked this girl about directions. I was acting like I was lost. I already felt like I was going to kill something. I don't know what makes me feel that way. I know I have a problem if I'm doing these things. I must have a problem. But no one gives me any help. Something makes me mad, and I take my anger out on anything. You get in my way, it's like a tornado. So I sort of lured her into the car, pulled her in, took her to a field. One thing led to another. I told her I wanted her mom, not her, and she didn't tell me where she was. I left her in the field then, covered up, and I went to, like, one of those stores to get some plastic bags. 
I came back, put her in the bags. It was late in the afternoon. Only thing I left behind was her head. I dropped it just like I dropped the pillowcase in Maryland by accident. I headed back to Maryland. I knew a rest area where I could pull over and hide it and get it when I came back. I think it was in Rhode Island. I sort of buried it, put stuff around it so that no animal could get to it. Rocks. It wasn't a permanent gravesite. I had already planned going to Wellfleet to bury her at my grandfather's place. I wasn't worried about anybody finding her before I got back. I never had anybody find anything I didn't want them to find. That's a bold statement there. Sure is. It's another one of those weird revenge things or like weird, like overly getting angry. Like, so what? Moving's canceled. He was pretty upset about that. <laughs> yeah. Like just his motives for all of his murders yeah. are, are very, very odd. Let's get my dad back. I'll kill a nine-year-old girl. Right. Well, like he said, I was acting like I felt like I was going to kill something. Yeah. And at that point, it's just a matter of who's around. It's just scary that people like that are out in the world walking around, you know? Well, and especially after there's been so many signs, so many instances where this guy could have gotten help and put in a situation where he should have gotten help or been, you know, locked up or, you know, prior to this. And it is what it is. Well, we said earlier when police were closing in on Haddon, he went out and allegedly dug up Sarah's body along with the trophies. We know for sure he did move the trophies because police found them, but they never found Sarah's body. Interesting, when police were searching Haddon's truck during Laura's murder investigation, they found a hand-drawn map leading to Haddon's father's grave, where Sarah's body and the trophies allegedly were. A cadaver dog did hit on the grave of a recent body being there, but, you know, they dug it, didn't find anything. So, who knows? You know, I mean, if Haddon really did move her body, then yeah, they wouldn't have found anything, but a dog did hit on a body of being there at some point, you know, that the, right. the dog wouldn't have hit on a casket. Right. Those dogs are pretty accurate. Yeah. Not in Curb Your Enthusiasm, Dave, when they're opening a restaurant <laughs> and that cadaver dog's brought in and it starts barking or, you know, doing its thing in the kitchen. So they have to delay the opening and it's, they just find a, a old woman's bra. That's right. No body. As far as police are concerned, a guy named John Wordy has been named the prime suspect in Sarah's case. He was convicted in connection with an abduction attempt that occurred in Newton one month after Sarah disappeared. He lived in the area at the time and can't account for his whereabouts on the day that she disappeared. Witnesses reported seeing him near the area where Sarah was last seen. He was questioned about her case, but was never charged. He's also considered a suspect in the disappearance of a 16-year-old girl named Catherine Malcolmson. John Wordy was previously convicted of the murder of 15-year-old Rosemarie Martin, which took place in Dallas, Texas in 1967. He was on parole at the time of Sarah's disappearance. And due to the conviction in the abduction attempt, he was later returned to Texas for violating his parole. He was then sentenced to serve the rest of his life sentence. He eventually became eligible for parole again in 2011, but was denied and officially Sarah's case remains unsolved. So Wordy's a real winner as well. How do you yeah. get paroled in 20 years for the murder after you murdered a 15-year-old girl? How does that work? Texas. What the <laughs> fuck? Yeah, that's... that. I don't know. It seems like Texas wouldn't be letting somebody out like that, but... No, Texas, they would have killed him right away. <laughs> Guilty, dead. 
that what they would do? Death penalty. <laughs> Except they don't yeah. have any electricity down there, so they don't have any way to, to execute anyone right now. What are they doing? Who knows? <laughs> they're stock. I mean, there's like a, what a hundred executions a day down there. <laughs> Something like that. That's what not. A, that's not an official fact. What a mess down there. Sorry, that was uh, not really relevant at all. But <laughs> but that's right. You know, what'd you say? Paroled after paroled after you know fifteen year old girl. Not sure how that happens. Police are, you know, they're almost certain that it was John Wordy that did this. But it's interesting too that. The cadaver dogs hit on on his father's grave. Yeah, yeah. And that's the story of Haddon Clark. He's still he's still in prison singing his church songs, but from what I read, Jesus has been moved on to another prison. So <laughs> they are no longer cellmates. They get me the fuck out of here. <laughs> Jesus heard he was being transferred. I was like, Hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah. I wonder what Haddon thought when he left. He didn't like that. I Probably bet. not. Hopefully he had a uh, visit that day with Teddy yeah. to help keep him a little bit sane. <laughs> a little tug job from Teddy. Teddy tug job. Teddy tug job. <laughs> New shirts coming to Necronomapod. Yeah. Old Teddy tug job. <laughs> that Picturing that in my head, him talking to that bear alone in the interrogation room just cracks me up. <laughs> just picturing him sitting there like, well, we're not getting out of this one. We, we really fucked up this time. <laughs> like, <laughs> I want a picture of Teddy Tugbear on a shirt, but doing the pose of the uh, the dab for, that I use from the meme from Abducted in Plain Sight. We're just like, what are you, you going to do? But it's just Teddy Tug job doing the old what are you going to do gimmick. <laughs> or it could just be Teddy Tug job doing that, and it just says, uh-oh, I don't think we're getting out of this one. <laughs> it's not bad. <laughs> Teddy Tug Job. We'll, we'll see what the listeners say. Somebody trademarked that. Teddy Tug Job. <laughs> Probably a porno actor out there somewhere, right? <laughs> or like a cam model. It's not the new things, like the, the, the cam videos that you can do with people. So there's got to be like a Teddy Tug Job. Mm. If not, that's my new gig. Probably as an OnlyFans, Teddy Tug Job. There it is. That Well, that is my OnlyFans. But I thought we were going to kayfabe that. <laughs> Now all of our listeners are going to go to OnlyFans and look up Teddy Tugjob and whoever it is going to get all these listeners. Right. like, this ain't fucking Mike. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Haddon Clark is interesting. I'd never heard of this story. So only two deaths have actually been attributed to him. Correct? Right. Michelle Dore and, uh, and Laura, who we talked about today. Yeah, he claims 12. The, the, the two we covered, Sarah Pryor and... Lady of the Dunes, those those two get the most attention. I mean, who, who knows? I mean, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's at least killed someone else besides the two that he was convicted of. I think that makes total sense. The first one with Michelle Dore seems like that wasn't his first time. You know, mm-hmm. he, he was able to clean that up perfect, like nothing ever happened. And he tried to have sex with her with her corpse so that's a that's a pretty big escalation right and then he before he put her in the grave he dug he drank some of her blood so that doesn't seem like the first time he did that that's a good point but he never talked about doing anything else like that with the other like the 12 that he admitted to like the other 10 uh, or did well, he... the, the lady of the dunes what he said in that quote i did some stuff that's to right. her body he said that yeah in the the autopsy on that, they believe that she was sexually assaulted. Yeah. But with then, like, some type of object after she was dead. 
no other drinking of blood or, you know, even when he killed Laura, like he accidentally slit her throat after he had killed her and then no mention of drinking anything then. Yeah, he swears he didn't do anything sexual to her body or other or than drink he any blood or anything. He said he groped her boobs, right? And he yeah. Said that. Yeah, but he didn't uh, actually have sex with her corpse or anything like that. He made a point of making making that clear. An odd individualist, like probably the most bizarre serial killer we've ever covered. The story is just so weird. It's quite strange. You can't really like pin this guy down for like what his like I would have loved to have seen like an FBI profile on this guy. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you put something together? You know, I mean, they, they can, they're good at it, but that would have been wild to see what they uh, came up with. I agree. Like, see what our dudes would have thought they were looking for. Right. It's like Mindhunter, speaking of our dudes, is uh, <clears throat> probably not coming back. I thought that had already yeah. been announced that it wasn't. Yeah, a while ago. Yeah. But it's officially not. I think so. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's disappointing. That was a fun show. Yeah, it was great because whenever they had like a new serial killer on, it got us downloads if we had already covered that person. <laughs> it was fantastic for us. That's a good point. Son of a bitch. It was free publicity. Son of a bitch. That does happen, though, we've noticed. Like whenever there's like a new documentary that comes, I think we've talked about this before, people get excited and start like Googling and searching mm-hmm. for podcasts. And that Luca Magnato one, we still get people commenting on our old posts about that or requesting that we do it. And I, you know, we're like, well, look, look in the archives after, oh, after they watch, <laughs> after they watch the don't fuck with cats. Yeah. That on one. Netflix. And then we've been getting a lot for the Elisa lamb recently. And mm. that was one of the first, I think 10 episodes we did. Got to go way back for that one. That show was awful. That's, what, that's I was excited to watch it. And then you and Ian both were like, it was trash. It's terrible. I didn't finish it. I, turned, I watched five minutes of the fourth episode and I turned it off. I'm like, fuck this. I'm not wasting yeah, my time. It's anymore. nonsense. And it's what's crazy about that one for me is like, as we've discussed, this is not usually a field or a genre that I'm into with stuff. That story intrigues me so much that I was really excited about that documentary. And then yeah. you guys crushed my hopes. Well, you could still watch it. Why now? We I mean, don't know everything. It's just our opinion. You know how precious little of things I watch. I'm going to say that true. I'll just rewatch the office for the 19th time instead of wasting my time on that. But it, I don't know. I just find that story extremely fascinating. And it's a shame that the, uh, you know, mm-hmm. you guys who are very much into that kind of stuff and you thought it was garbage. It was just a bunch it's, of like, what do they call me in web sleuths giving their yeah. opinion on stuff that they're not qualified to talk about and <laughs> inserting themselves into the story that they have nothing to do. It's just, it's ridiculous. Fuck all those people. Yeah, like they but, were. But go listen them. to our episode because it's really damn good. <laughs> available in the archives. It, I think it was one of our bonus shows, but back when we were, you know, doing that shit for free. Yeah, it's true. I think it was episode three because that's when I started really getting pissed off with it. I'm like, I'm done. They were making all these, these web sleuths were making these claims about bipolar disorder, what it would make you think, and that doesn't sound like somebody with bipolar disorder. It's like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You're an internet sleuth. You're not a fucking doctor. <laughs> fucking net and, like, <laughs> and I like I just sat there watching it. And I'm like, can can we let the adults speak now? Like that's yeah, kind of right. what I was thinking. Like, can we have the doctor come back on that actually knows what she's talking about? And yeah, right. Can have an actual like opinion on stuff like this. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then they got all like high and mighty that they. Like, why isn't the police report out? What are they hiding? Like, we should have the police report. It's like, no, you shouldn't. If they don't want you to have it, why would they? They don't have to give that to you. 
the what wasn't did they talk really about annoying. like the edit in the the, the uh, elevator footage like there's supposed to be 45 seconds to a minute that got cut and it wasn't known like if they were trying to hide something or in, the, in, in what was like officially released or if maybe there was another person that came in that they just wanted to protect their identity because they were not involved with the case. I, but I always thought that was interesting. I think the police said that there was no such edit. They didn't know anything about that. Yeah. You can clearly or, see it if you watch the elevator. I, I think footage. they said it was just a glitch, right? And the tape. Uh, like yeah. A 45 45 really was, oh, so there, but so there was a 45 second error. But no, they just think it, lo- it looks like. The, 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 it glitches real quick. It makes you think it was cut, but it doesn't. But there, you can see them, the numbers at the, the screen, like they're blurred, but you can see that they, they don't look mm, right. I don't know. The cops said they weren't aware of any 45 seconds. On this new missing. documentary? Uh, that's mm. what I remember. Because I was fighting not to fall asleep, yeah. but I think that's Well, that I part would be intriguing to me <laughs> to hear them say that, but I don't know. I always found that to be a fascinating case. It's a sad story. Yeah. I, I suspect it's not as bizarre as it seems. Like, I don't think there's probably much there. I think it's very bipolar related. But weren't, her, risks. weren't some of her clothes off, though, too? I could yeah. be misremembered. I mean, we covered this two years ago. Yeah, her clothes were, were getting, off. We're getting into a mini yeah, we don't Lisa yeah. Lamb episode here. <laughs> that's like, <laughs> I, her, yeah, her clothes were off. Which was I, odd. That that's Yeah, that's weird. Too, and the water that. tank was shut, which is a little bit odd. Could have just been, a you know something happened you know somebody came by and shut it the maintenance guy but it was weird that that was shut when they said she probably wouldn't have been able to shut it from the inside floating in water so i don't know there's just enough there's little questions to make on it. whether it was open or shut though like the cops said it was open the well, cops said it, it seems was like closed the cops are saying a lot of things oh they're saying it was closed i, I, I don't remember but yeah. it was then, the maintenance guy that found her and i swear he said it, it was open when he found it i think which was the police gave a different version later. It's just all he, know. the maintenance guy found because they were yeah. searching for her after all the complaints about the water. The maintenance guy found her, and so he the, said it was open. There was no rescue team up there at the time. That he so. found. Okay, someone complained about the water, and he went up to check the tank. Yeah, Ugh, they were drinking it. They were bathing <laughs> in it. Oh, man, it's awful, man. <laughs> you know what I did like on that documentary though. Um, that foreign couple i can't remember what country they were from england but they wanted to go yeah, yeah they, they were like they just picked some random place in the u.s to visit so it, it was that they're like oh yeah we want to go to that hotel. yeah like downtown didn't los angeles re- it must be really nice <laughs> yeah and they didn't research it nope, at all not at all like realizing it's literally like on block from skid row yeah of all of los angeles you literally picked the, one of the worst spots and they got to go. there they're like what the fuck <laughs> So disclaimer: but, If I got any of these facts wrong, um, too bad. I was only half watching it. So oh, I don't. Well, this isn't a show on Elisa Lamb, so we can't help be held accountable. I'm just speaking from memory. I don't. Yeah. I may have gotten some of these wrong. I always just found well, it interesting, so it was disappointing when you guys said it sucked. Maybe I'll still watch it at some point, but I don't yeah. know. I mean, you can say what you want. Why not? Netflix gives people a platform to say whatever the fuck they want. It's true. Apparently, they it's just put accurate. out documentaries yeah, right. and let let untrained <laughs> people give their thoughts on mental illness. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, who, what will we cover today? Uh, Ian, any final thoughts on Elisa Lamb? I mean, Haddon Clark. <laughs> <laughs> He's a really interesting guy. It was, it was interesting to read about him. It, it makes you think some interesting stuff about nature versus nurture. You know, how the three mm. brothers turned out, the daughter, or, you know, and the sister turned out normal. And then you have two brothers that brutally murdered people. And both of those murders don't seem like the first time for either of them. Yeah. It was interesting. Dave, what do you think? 
Any last thoughts? I think having wacky parents at a young age like that can really fuck up the whole rest of your life. So I think it's a combination of nature nurture going on here. Because I think there's probably a lot of mental illness as well. So all those things mixed together did not uh, turn out great. I wish this was just two parts on the Rockville Rocket, Kristen Bluefin, and, uh, you know, the teddy bear. <laughs> those at least brought a little bit of light to this tragic story. Yeah. Still th- trying to think whether it'd be appetizing or not for the guy in his booty shorts to bring my breakfast. Not sure I would love it. Got a little bit of brain hanging out while he's giving you your, your locks and your cream cheese. <laughs> I don't know, man. See them coming around the corner, like taking those tight turns. You hear that. (laughs) (laughs) He hits that little heel break as he slides on up. Almost drops your bagel, recovers. Yeah. Well, (laughs) come on. He's probably a master of that. He brings you your bagel. He leaves with your woman dressed like that. That's how it works. When I lived in Steubenville, because I I was talking to Angie about this case when, when I was doing the outline. In Steubenville, there's this guy named Tennis Shoe Ernie. And he would just, he's like the same thing, like local character. And he just buzz around on a, um, fuck, what am I thinking of? Like a, a moped. Oh, a moped. <laughs> like a moped. Yeah. He would just buzz around on it. I have no idea why he was named, why people called him Tennis Shoe Ernie. <laughs> but you'd just see him buzzing by on his moped and like, oh, there's Tennis Shoe Ernie. What's Maybe he, he collects to? the tennis <laughs> shoes of all the people he kills and buries in his backyard. <laughs> oh, shit. Well, that's what I told Angie. I'm like, this story is like when you get to the Rockville Rocket part. <laughs> I'm like, this is like if you found out tennis shoe Ernie was really killing people behind the scenes. Like he was a serial killer. <laughs> By the time this episode drops, we're going to probably had already posted that uh, Rockville Rocket picture. Go back and look at it again. It's just hilarious. His little fucking wrist guards and his shorts and that helmet and a fucking Washington Capitals jersey. Good hockey <laughs> team. Hey, I just thought of something. You know, the, the Ohio Valley pizza down mm-hmm. there from where he's from. Maybe they had a character on skates delivering pizza and it took them so long to get there and the cheese got cold. That's how the Ohio Valley pizza started. Yeah, (laughs) just took them like two hours to deliver it. And And then it became a thing. Like, oh, we like this cold ass cheese on pizza. Maybe so. Um, What else we got? Ian just had a second episode of Promised Land drop. That's still going well. Yeah, I'm very happy with... uh people's comments on it so far got some good reviews on itunes for it good stuff people yeah. seem to like it so far episode two was really good you got a lot of good clips in there and i'm driving in my car listening it makes me want to punch jim jones right in the fucking face <laughs> yeah i think every episode going forward all the clips are going to be pretty off the rails yeah this the from episode one to episode two went zero to a hundred real quick <laughs> so looking forward to more of that uh what every tuesday ish tuesday yeah yeah i got this one i was like i'm like trying to level out all these clips and stuff and i'm like god damn it i'm gonna get this done before fucking midnight i got it done what'd you say mike like eight minutes to spare it was 11 52 i got the (laughs) notification i was like oh he made it still counts dave just had a new bible babble drop that was a lot of fun it was a good episode talked a little bit about ash wednesday yeah had some uh, Bible Babble haikus, fan submitted, good stuff. Yeah, we even played Bible trivia on the show. You had some special guests. We did the trivia. Yeah, yeah. Very intense co- uh, battle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Loser had to go into the confessional with <laughs> Father McNutty, right? <laughs> I think that's right. <laughs> uh, so those drop every month on Patreon at the ten dollar tier. 
uh, patreon.com slash Necronomapod. As we announced last week, starting in March, we are going to be dropping a monthly cooldown show for all patrons. That's the $10 level, the $5 level, and even those of you at the $1 level where we are going to be recapping our last month of shows, just kind of giving any last thoughts we might have and giving you a sneak peek at what to expect in the coming month. So just kind of a little bit of a spoiler at what to expect. Obviously, our schedule changes uh, if needed, so it's not set in stone, but we wanted to give you a little sneak peek. So monthly cooldown coming in March uh, for all tiers of Patreon. Including you, Casey Anthony. You know, you want to sign up. Go mm-hmm. for it. Pull the trigger. Autumn fragrance. <laughs> Autumn fragrance. Yeah. So, yeah, that's all. Uh, well, B- Promised Land, you can check out on all podcast platforms. That's every Tuesday. Bible Babble, the monthly cooldown um, on patreon.com slash Necronomapod. So we got some Patreon shout outs. Uh, first, a couple that I uh, messed up. Uh, shout out to Kayla Bearden and shout out to Numer, our friend from Sweden. Uh, Numer, I apologize. You had let us know to uh, look up how to pronounce your, your name correctly. Um I got Numer. Hopefully that's correct. I tried putting in your last name and no results were found. So uh, we'll have to do maybe some deep diving on that if you need us to. But anyways, Numer, we appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, uh, Happy to hear you're listening from Sweden. New patrons, Emily Danby, Jared Kuberski, Gabriel Estrella, Stacey Lindsay, Jenny Rosa, Skinwalkers Are Best, Cheyenne Porter, Senor Dickenballs, Slutterella, <laughs> Pause, <laughs> Cynthia Menendez, these people, Carol Steele, Jacqueline, Vicky Buckley, uh, Danae Littlefield, Smokey McPot, 982, <laughs> Fraser Joy, Stephanie Koch, Kaylee Elkins, Rhonda McGivory, Elizabeth Harvey, Peter Scott, Thomas Butler, Harry Azcrack, <laughs> Ryan, <laughs> Rachel B, Ethan Beckler, Jude Holmes, Tina Staten, Staten, Stephanie Thomason, Sarah, Jackie Sugar, Chris Hardy, Alicia Charneski, Lindsay Tanner, James Harrington, William Joy, Casey Prendergast, Critical Boob, Omar Torres, and Reagan Medcalf. Thank you guys very much. We appreciate your support as always. Uh, And again, if I messed up your name, send us a DM on Patreon. Um, I'll be happy to correct it. I think we should introduce Senior Dickenballs, Senior Dickenballs (laughs) to Slutterella. I think they might get along. How about that? Swimmingly. Match made in heaven. Um, Ian, what do you got? For iTunes, I have one for PMH Law and Courtney Joe. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. Dave, what do you got? I think you got something fired up. Uh, I got a couple of uh, reviews in bad review corner here. Uh I believe both from uh, Great Britain. First one, a podcast for those who lack even the slightest bit of brain matter. (laughs) (laughs) The subjects covered should be covered seriously, not by three redneck drunks whose combined IQ doesn't come close to double digits. Unfunny, unbearable, avoid. Obviously, everything we cover, this is extremely serious matter. And so, you know, you're not allowed to have any fun when you're discussing true crime in general. 
And 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 uh, listener out there, if we didn't add up to double digit IQs, we wouldn't even be able to talk. So you're so silly already. Fucking, it's not even possible. Fucking wanker. Uh, number two from Great Britain, a bit too far. Listen to part of their episode on Richard Ramirez, and I was shocked. They joked about the names of people, what had happened to them, and were just plain disrespectful. We'll not be listening to any more of their stuff. I think that uh, frying pan joke from Richard Ramirez uh, is coming back to bite me on that one. But that was a joke about a name, right? It was. I don't think we ever make fun of things that happen to people. I, I sure hope not. We don't. Mm, I don't remember anything like that ever happening. And it's fun to make fun of anybody's name, just in general. Yeah. Just a little name humor. And I don't find that to be as disrespectful. So that's all we got. Okay. They don't like us in Great Britain today. Thanks, Karens. So take your wooden teeth and... (laughs) And get fucked. (laughs) As young young Ian would tell his grandpa. (laughs) Get fucked, asshole. (laughs) We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at Necronomapod. We have usually uh, special guests introducing us, uh, doing a little intro to all of our shows on YouTube. So make sure to check those out every week. Uh, also go, you know, debate with um, Autumn Fragrance, Casey Anthony. We know that you <laughs> quit hiding. Just, yeah. you know, answer your phone already. Come in studio. Tell your side of the story here instead of writing a book on YouTube. You can plug that little gimmick show you got going on, too. I'll interview her for her uh, her documentary. No, Ian, Dave, and I got this one. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you do so much work. You focus on Promise Land. We got, you get the night off, buddy. Um, yeah. Someone commented on that with, with all the... Uh, the uh, nice try Casey and one of them said hit up Mike <laughs> <laughs> or Mike said to hit him up or whatever it's <laughs> awesome no but seriously hit me up um or Casey does your breather smell like an autumn fragrance <laughs> just curious that's, we need to get a Larry Flynn account <laughs> I wonder um, what Casey thought if that really was her I wonder what Casey thought of uh, Larry Flint showing up <laughs> Still got that beaver This episode has been Haddon Clark, Elisa Lamb, and now Casey Anthony. Uh, so yes, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at Necronomapod, uh, Patreon.com slash Necronomapod, and then go to Amazon.com, search Necronomapod, and you will find all of our gear. Thank you very much for listening, as always. All right, you guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>